Please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. We'll be looking at verses 10 through 31. In our series on Mark's account of the Master of Men, we come to a very solemn occasion here, the Last Supper. R. Kent Hughes, a pastor in Wheaton, in his book on uh, Mark's gospel entitled uh, Jesus, Servant and Savior, introduces this section with a quote from Albert Schweitzer's Quest for the Historical Jesus. Now, Schweitzer that is seeking to find the, quote, historical Jesus. That's the Jesus behind the Jesus of the Gospels. He would He'd be looking for the real Jesus, and uh, to use his phrase there. And here's what he says. He says, There is silence all around. The Baptist, John the Baptist, appears and cries, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Soon after that comes Jesus, and in the knowledge that he is the coming Son of Man, lays hold... On the wheel of the world to set it moving on that last revolution which is to bring all ordinary history to a close. It refuses to turn and he throws himself upon it. And then it does turn and crushes him. The wheel rolls around and the mangled body of the one immeasurably great man who was strong enough to think of himself as the spiritual ruler over mankind and to bend history to his purpose, is hanging on it still. Well, of course, uh, we don't agree with Schweitzer's evaluation of what took place at this point in history. You find here in Mark's account the plan to betray Jesus. In verse 10 of Mark 14, And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priests to betray him unto them. You find that uh, they wanted to kill Jesus. Back in verse 1, After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him, Jesus, by craft and put him to death. Well, Judas and the other disciples know of the hatred of these men, these leaders. And Judas decides to get something out of his investment of three years. And so he decides to betray Jesus. In verse 11, when they, the priest, heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. It's interesting to contrast Judas's action with Mary's action. Mary, the brother of Lazarus. Lazarus had been raised from the dead a short while earlier. In verse 3, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. 
There were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than three hundred pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For you have the poor with you always. Whenever you will, you may do them good. But me you have not always. She hath done what she good. She hath come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Not that she necessarily knew the significance of what she'd done, but her heart goes out, and she is so grateful to Jesus for what he's done in her life and done in raising her brother from the dead, and she wants to express it, and she takes the most precious thing she has, and she gives it to him. And here's Judas selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. What a contrast, these two actions back to back. Well, at this point we have the partaking of the Passover meal. In verse 12, the arrangements of the meal are made. The first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall you meet a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wherever he shall go in, say ye to the good man of the house, The master saith, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. His disciples went forth, came into the city, and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. The Passover, of course, harkens back to the great event there when, after 400 years of bondage in Egypt, God raises up Moses to deliver his people. And uh, God sends ten plagues upon the nation of Israel. The last plague was the angel of death. They would go into every home and kill the eldest son. But there was a way of escaping that judgment. You could take the blood of the lamb, place it over your doorpost that night, and when the angel saw that, he would pass over that house. This Passover was then set up in commemoration of that, and every year at that time, they would celebrate the Passover. But, of course, it not only commemorated that great deliverance, but it pointed to a greater deliverance that God would bring about, uh, not from physical bondage, but from spiritual bondage. As his son would be the real lamb that would take away the sin of the world, and he would die on the 14th day of the seventh month. And... Uh, you place his blood over your door when you put your faith in the Son of God who died for your sins and surrender your will to him. And then that blood is applied to you and you are forgiven and you are delivered. The guilt of sin is removed. You're justified. You have a standing before God of not guilty, a permanent standing. And the bondage of sin is broken in your life. You have a new nature. You have the Holy Spirit living within. And so the guilt is removed and the bondage is broken. You can live differently. 
And the evidence that you have put your faith in Christ and have surrendered your will to him is that there is a growing trend of obedience to God in your life. Well, that was the true significance of that event. And, of course, it's about to transpire at this point. Jesus gives instructions. We must eat the meal. And, uh, and they go and prepare this. Do you get uh, the feeling that Jesus was being crushed in the gears of history, as Schweitzer said? Or do you get the feeling that Jesus is in control of history and that all of this is according to plan and that he takes the next step here? All the events laid out, even where they would where they would meet and have the supper, all of it planned ahead of time, all of it arranged by God. Jesus was not being crushed. He's turning the wheels just as he planned. He makes an announcement during the meal. Try to picture the scene there as they all sit around. Certainly there's tension. Uh, they know of the hatred of the religious leaders, the danger. And as they sit there, in verse 17, In the evening he cometh with the twelve, and as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. Can you imagine the force with which that fell on the group? One of you will betray me. How would you have responded? Notice how they respond. In uh, verse 19, they began to be sorrowful and to say unto him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? What would you have said? I would have said, Is it he? They said, Is it I? Great searchings of heart, self-examination, self-distrust. And that's healthy. As they each examine their own hearts, Jesus goes ahead and uh, speaks of who it will be. In verse 20, he said unto them, It is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. They had a dish there in the middle with sauce and meat in it and you would dip your bread in it. And apparently, a number are dipping in so that this doesn't single out Judas at this point. And uh, verse 21, The Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good word for that man if he had never been born. Notice the fulfilling of the plan of God. How does uh, God tell the future? Because he's planned the future. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, God says, I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. 
I tell the future because I plan the future. And you have an illustration of it. The Son of Man goes even as it is written, even as the plan calls for, which is recorded in the Old Testament. The Old Testament foretold the death of Christ. It foretold the betrayal for 30 pieces of silver. It foretold what would happen to the 30 pieces of silver. They'd be thrown down in the house of the Lord and go to buy the potter's field. Zechariah prophesied that. They foretold that Jesus would make his death with wicked men and be buried in a rich man's tomb, ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, and on and on. Uh, So the Son of Man goes even as it is written. But woe be unto him by whom he is betrayed. Uh, Judas, you are a free agent. You are not a puppet. God has it all planned out, but you and I are making responsible choices and are held accountable. We're not puppets. That seems contradictory. How can it all be planned out and yet us be not not be puppets? And when you hit a problem like that, you, you, the tendency is to go one way or the other. The tendency is to say, well, it's not all planned out or, or we're not responsible. But you must just hold those in tension. Both are true. When you hit a problem like that, you read Calvin. That's what you do. Or you read Spurgeon. Let me read you Spurgeon. Uh, here's Spurgeon's comment on that. Spurgeon says, They who think that predestination and the fulfillment of the divine purpose is contrary to the free agency of man, know not what they say, nor whereof they affirm. It were no miracle for God to effect his own purpose if he were dealing with stocks and stones. But this is the miracle of miracles, that the creatures are free, absolutely free. And yet the divine purpose stands. Herein is wisdom. This is a deep, unsearchable truth. Man walks without a fetter, yet treads in the very steps which God ordained him to tread in, as certainly as though miracles had bound him to the spot. Exactly. Well, Jesus warns Judas, The Son of Man goes even as it is written, but woe be unto him by whom he is betrayed. It were better for that man if he had not been born. There's a recent book out called The Gospel According to Judas, written by Professor Ray Anderson at Fuller Seminary in California. He pictures a conversation, he supposes a conversation between the risen Christ and Judas, who's hung himself. After Judas betrayed Jesus, you remember, he comes back and throws the uh, 30 pieces of silver down in the temple and says, I betrayed innocent blood, and then he goes out and hangs himself. Well, Anderson envisions a conversation between the two of them after the death of Judas. And uh, Christ says to Judas, My choosing of you counts more than your betrayal of me. Your betrayal hurts, but my choosing heals. You unravel the cord that I used to draw you to me, but you could not break it. Remember, you did not choose me, but I chose you. What's he saying? What he's saying is that 
Judas will be in heaven. Uh, that uh, Christ's death uh, covers Judas's sin. Well, hmm. What does he base this on? Does that mean that everybody will be in heaven? I mean, if Judas is in heaven, who won't be in heaven? Yes, Mr. Anderson says, everybody will be in heaven. Are all loved and chosen by God? And he says, we know that in Christ, all who are in the world are loved by God. And he means we'll be saved. And he goes on to quote, he say, well, what scripture would he use? And he quotes Romans 5:18. Then as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all men, meaning Adam, so one man's act of righteousness, Jesus' death, leads to acquittal and life for all men. Well, here's a typical case of someone who takes one verse of Scripture, takes it out of context, then uses it to set aside everything else the Bible teaches. He never wrestles with this statement of Jesus's to Judas. He never wrestles with where Peter says that Judas was the son of perdition who went to his own place Never wrestles with Jesus' statement in John 13 about uh, you're clean but not all. Speaking of Judas, was not clean when he addresses the other disciples. Uh, never wrestles with Jesus' statement, have I not chosen you and one of you is a devil. He winds up his book by saying, Judas, come home. All is forgiven. No. Judas won't be in heaven, and a lot of people won't be in heaven. To be in heaven, there has to be the real commitment to Jesus Christ, the lasting following of him, the faithful to him unto death, as we read last week in Matthew and Mark 13. There has to be the real change, the real going against uh, the trend of this world. Uh, the real evidence that our faith is a fruit-bearing faith. We have the next act here, the act of the breaking of bread. Verse 22, As they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave to them, and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it. He said, This this represents my body. It's going to be broken for you. And this cup represents my blood, which will be spilled for you. He's not being crushed on the wheels of, of human events. He's giving himself voluntarily as our substitute for our guilt. And that was God's plan. What an amazing plan. You read that and what can you do but fall on your knees? I I can't even express it. How can you express what we ought to feel? The, the, The thing that helps me more than anything else are the great hymns of the church. Charles Wesley, and can it be that I should gain 
an interest in the Savior's blood. Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? John Newton, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. T'was grace that led me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Or, praise my soul, the King of heaven. To his feet thy tribute bring, ransom, heal, restored, forgiven. Who like me his praise should sing? Only words like that can even begin to express what we ought to feel when we read something like this. Well, Jesus speaks of the abstinence from the fruit of the vine until the great marriage supper of the Lamb. He says in verse 25, Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And apparently he's looking forward to his second coming. When there'll be the great final consummation, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We'll all feast with him and his disciples there in the kingdom in its final phase. Well, we see the plan to betray Jesus. They're partaking at the Passover meal. And the prophecy, finally, of the disciples forsaking of him. Verse 26 when they had sung a hymn, they went out unto the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said unto them, All you shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written. Here's again a part of the plan. I will smite the shepherd. God would smite the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Zechariah 400 B.C. prophesied that. So he prophesies their forsaking of him. And... Uh, he prophesies his resurrection in verse 28. After that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter objects. Verse 29, Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet not I. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise, also said they all. Well, they did forsake him temporarily. They fell. They didn't fall like Judas, but they fell. And we fall. But they got back up. He kept them. He keeps his own. The point for us is the importance of entering that covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many. How do you enter that covenant? Well, by faith, by believing his claim and trusting him to save me as a gift by grace. And surrender to him as my master. I enter the covenant by repentance and faith. And that would obviously be uh, hammered home here. The danger... The danger of selling ourselves for some temporary passing pleasure or item of worth in this world. Judas sold Jesus. Did Judas sell Jesus? Judas sold himself. Still as old 
men by themselves are priced. For 30 pieces, Judas sold himself, not Christ. People sell themselves for <laughs> so many different things in this world. They don't really turn and follow God because they're not willing to give this up or that up. And they're just like Judas. They sell themselves for a little sexual pleasure, for uh, this thing, for the praise of men, whatever it is. Just like Judas. The obligation to live for and by Jesus Christ. We sang earlier, were the whole realm of nature man. That were present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. To live for Christ. C.T. Studd said, if Jesus Christ was God and if he died for me, no sacrifice is too great for me to make for him. And let's rededicate ourselves to living for him and by him, feeding on him by faith as we partake of this Lord's Supper now.